Amen. Praise the Lord. We, uh, we started uh, a long time ago, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, uh, a series that we've entitled Spiritology. We stole that title from Brother Hagen. Uh, by that we mean the study of the human spirit. And uh, I keep thinking that we're done with this, but every week uh, I have something else in my heart to go a little bit further. Uh, we've been using some text scriptures for the study of uh, the human spirit, primarily Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 which says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, the, uh, the uh, other translations uh, relate this in different ways. This is uh, a little bit archaic. It was certainly applicable in the day that it was written because the only way they lit their homes or lit anything in the dark was with candles, literally an oil lamp. That's what the word uh, candle means. It means a lamp. We don't use, oil can- uh, we don't use candles and oil lamps and so- things like that so much nowadays. One translation that I particularly like says, uh, uh, says the spirit of man is the searchlight of the Lord. Well, what does it mean? It means God leads you by your spirit. And notice it says searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, the inward witness or the, the leading of God comes from within you, not outside of you. Now, think about how many Christians are living their lives waiting for God to open and shut doors. They're waiting for circumstances to dictate to them or try to, try to show them in some way or another what they believe the will of the Lord is. Yet the Bible says very specifically that the leading of God, uh, the direction of God, God's plan for your life comes from an inward something. That inward something is the spirit of man. Pro, uh, Romans chapter 8 gives us a little bit more information about it in a New Testament context of the same, uh, same thought. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, there's several different ways you can look at that verse of Scripture. But it, uh, however you choose to look at it, you have to conclude that every child of God has a right to be led by the Spirit of God, if nothing else but by that very thing that the Holy Ghost said through the Apostle Paul. Every child of God, every believer, should expect to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, okay, then the question is how? If we didn't know what Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, what would we conclude? Verse 16 of Romans chapter 8 goes on a little bit further. It says, The Spirit Himself, King James says itself, but He's not an it. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So if you put those two verses of Scripture together, you can see very clearly that the Bible is saying, the Holy Ghost is telling us that you as a believer, God assumes, I I guess He assumes that the reader of that letter would be a believer. The the ones that, uh, uh, that read the letter that Paul wrote certainly were. So he's saying you as a believer can and should expect to be led by the Holy Ghost from within your spirit. Now, we've talked a lot about, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things regarding uh, the study of the human spirit. We located the spirit of man by, uh, by what the Bible says. We found out that Paul called him the inward man, the inner man. Peter called him the, uh, the hidden man of the heart. We found that, uh, that he was hidden from the five physical senses. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, that both, John, uh, both uh, Peter and Paul would identify the inward man or the, the spirit of man with the heart. Because Paul speaks of it this way in Romans chapter 10. He said, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. So he's talking about the spirit. Jesus said the same thing when he was talking about believing, talking about the principles of faith in Mark chapter 11. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Well, now what's he talking about when he speaks of the heart? Folks, you can't believe or doubt with the physical organ that pumps blood any more than you could believe or doubt with your nose. 
So what does he mean when he uses the term heart? He's talking about the same thing that Paul does by the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the inward man. He's saying, and shall not doubt in his heart, meaning he shall not doubt in his spirit. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That's Mark eleven twenty three. So when he talks about the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, usually, there are very few exceptions to this, when the Bible's talking about the heart, it's talking about the spirit of man. That spirit of man is that which has been recreated in the image of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, well, what became new when you got saved? Did you get a different eye color? Did you have blue eyes before and brown eyes after? What about your hair? Did it change colors? If you got saved when you were older, did your hair come back? What changed? Physical things didn't change. So what's he saying? Old things passed away. Well, physically, thing, old things didn't pass away. You're the same looking type. You're the same person physically. You look the same. You appear the same physically as you did before you got saved. So that's not what passed away. So what passed away? Well, what about mental things? Did you think differently after you got saved than before you got saved? No, your, your mental abilities, your mental capacities may have been heightened. They may have been increased by the life of God on the inside of you. But you had the same mind that you had before. Wouldn't it be nice if we renewed our mind instantly as soon as we got saved? Wouldn't that be lovely? Well, that must not be the case because Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 12, people that are already saved, that they should renew their minds to the Word. So mentally things don't change. Mentally things aren't new. Well, what things become new spiritually? The old man, the old spirit becomes new. God recreates your spirit and puts His spirit on the inside of you. That's why He leads you from within, from within your spirit, because that's where He lives. But remember, he's the hidden man of the heart, the hidden man of the spirit. He's hidden to your five physical senses. Now, folks, the real question about all of these things when we talk about being led by the Holy Ghost or knowing the leading of God within our own spirit, the real question is this. What keeps us from being led by the Holy Ghost? I doubt very seriously if you would ask any Christian anywhere, no matter how long they've been saved, maybe brand new saved or saved for 50 years, if you asked any Christian, do you want to be led by the Spirit of God? Who's going to say no to that? They may say, yeah, but I don't want other people to know it. You know, a lot of people think you're a kook when you start talking about being led by the Holy Ghost. So some people may want to keep it in the closet, so to speak. But who's going to say no to being led by the Holy Ghost? I mean, the understood, uh, the, the implication, that which is understood by everybody is if you're led by God, you're going to be led into victory. If you're led by God, you're going to have everything that you need. If you're led by God, He's going to show you the way out, not the way in concerning trouble and, and adversity and things like that. Who wouldn't want to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, then what keeps us from it? What keeps us from being led by the Spirit of God? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, there are some, uh, there are some interesting things. I, I trust that you know certain scriptures. We won't take time to look at them. For example, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There the word heart is used in reference to the Spirit of man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart or trust in the Lord with your spirit and lean not to your own understanding. So what's he saying? He's saying your understanding, your mental abilities has nothing to do with your spirit. Now they can be connected, but they're not automatically. So he says don't lean to your own understanding. In other words, don't try to trust God with your mind. Trust God with your spirit instead. So that tells us right away that your spirit's not your mind. If your spirit was your mind, he wouldn't be making a distinction between the two. Furthermore, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, 
that the spirit of God, uh, that the word of God rather, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. Well, then soul and spirit can't be the same. So if we're going to trust God with our hearts or trust God with our spirits, that means we're going to have to not only know what our spirit is, but how to hear the voice of God from within. And in many cases, this being one of the main ones, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself. But it seems to me like one of the best ways to learn the leading of God from within is to find out what it's not. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writing to the church, he's writing to people that have been born again, he's writing to people that have been spirit-filled. He writes to them and he says in verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. Now that tells us that the spirit is not the body. He's saying you're going to have to do something with your body in order to make it pleasing unto God. Yet remember, when you were born again, old things passed away and all things became new. If your body became new, it would already be, be pleasing to God. You wouldn't have to do anything with it. It would already be recreated in the image of God. But it's not, is it? It still wants to do the same wrong things that it wanted to before you got saved. So he says you're going to have to do something with your body. You're going to have to bring it under subjection. Present it a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most translations translate that last phrase, spiritual worship. Instead of which is your reasonable service, it's, they, most translations read, which is your spiritual worship. That's literally what the words mean. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well of Samaria, they that, uh, that love God or they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, we charismatics, those of us that are filled with the Spirit and speak with tongues, we're big on saying, yeah, we worship in spirit. And by that, we usually mean we sing in other tongues. Well, that's great. That can be a great help. It can be a great encouragement. It can be a great aid. It can be a way to strengthen yourself spiritually. But that's not what spiritual worship is. Spiritual worship is doing something about your body, which tells us that the body is going to be in conflict with the spirit. Paul goes into great detail talking about the conflict that his body had with his spirit until he learned that these were the, the, the very keys, the pillars of the victorious Christian life. He says you're going to have to do something with your body because your body is going to want to go the opposite way from your spirit. Now, how are you going to do that? How are you going to present your body a living sacrifice? Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the word metamorphosized. Just like a caterpillar crawls into a cocoon, he goes in a caterpillar, but he comes out a butterfly. He's saying that's the change that can take place in the Christian life. That's the change that Paul experienced. The very same guy that said in Romans chapter 7, I'm having such a hard time with my body. It wants to do the wrong thing. And what I want to do from the inside, my spirit, where God lives, I don't seem to have the power to do. He found the key to victory to where he came out saying we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Find me anybody that's living in sin saying they're more than a conqueror. That doesn't happen, does it? Now, the people that are living in sin, people who keep stumbling over the same sins over and over again, wind up giving credit to the devil for his power to keep them in a state of unworthiness. Well, how did Paul get to the place where he said, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us? Because he found these pillars of truth. Present your body a living sacrifice by renewing your mind. That's what transforms you. By the renewing of your mind. The word renew is an interesting word to me. And it means reversal by repetition. You are metamorphosized. 
You, you, just as the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, he spends some uncomfortable time in that cocoon. But he comes out not limited as he was when he went in. Now he's able to break the bonds of gravity. He's able to fly. He couldn't fly when he went into the cocoon. But now he can. He comes out able to break the bonds that held him back and lift him to a higher plane. That's exactly the picture that Paul uses in the Greek language. He says you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reversing your thinking through repetition. He said that's what changes you. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To what end? That you may, de- that you may prove. The word prove means to determine by experience. That you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How many Christians do you know that are absolutely sure that they're walking in the will of God? Not only the things that God wants them to do in life, but they're living life according to the will of God on a day-to-day basis. I would suggest that that's probably the minority. Whatever number you want to attach to it, it's going to be the minority. Why? Why are there so few Christians that determine by experience what is the will of God for them and the will of God in their lives? Because they haven't been transformed by the renewing of their minds. Now, here's another thing that Paul goes on to say. He's not through talking about this. He goes on to say in verse 3, he's just giving you the two pillars of victory. Present your body a living sacrifice by renewing your mind. In other words, your thinking in line with the Word of God will, will enable you to control your flesh. Now, why is that important? Because your flesh is going to pull against your spirit. Your flesh is in opposition to your spirit. If you yield to your flesh, you're going to have a hard time hearing the voice of God from within. So what does he say next? He says, For I say unto you, through the grace that is given unto me, I say to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Underline that word soberly. But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. This word sober, several years ago, uh, well, I don't even know how long ago it's been, but a long time ago, this word sober jumped out at me one day. You ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden one word stood up about an inch off the page? Well, okay. If you haven't had that experience, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you had, you know it very well. Well, I was reading along the lines uh, of Romans chapter 12. Just uh, I wasn't really studying for anything, but I was just reading some things. I know these verses. I can quote these verses. Could have quoted them then. But I was really impressed to read some things in the Bible. So I was reading the Word, and all of a sudden the Word soberly stood up on the page. Well, I immediately recognized the Holy Ghost wants me to know something about this. So I started digging into this Word. What does this Word soberly mean? Well, usually... If you, at the first glance, the word sober is going to be identified or defined as self-control. Well, that's good. It does mean self-control. Think according to self-control. Think according to discipline. Okay, that's good. I understand that. But if you dig a little bit further, you'll find that the root meanings of this word sober, and it's used a number of times throughout the New Testament, mostly Paul that uses it. Peter uses it once. But most of the times, Paul is the one that uses the word. The word sober, the word that's translated sober, comes from two Greek words. The first Greek word is the same word that's translated sozo, or the the Greek word sozo, that's translated most often in the New Testament, saved. For example, for by grace are you saved, sozo. James chapter 5 is another place where it's translated in a different way. 
It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick, talking about healed. The, they use King James language uses the word uh, save, but the meaning is healed. It's the same word in Mark chapter 5 and verse 34 where Jesus said, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. It's the word whole there. It's the same word that uh, uh, Dr. Schofield speaks of and, and uh, in talking about the concept of salvation. It includes deliverance, it includes healing, it includes safety, and it includes soundness. It's talking about being taken out of one thing and into another. When you were saved, you weren't just fixed up. God didn't just dust you off and send you into the world. No, He recreated you. He made you new. Well, that's what it means. It means saved. It means delivered. It means healed. The second word that makes up this word uh, uh, sober, the second part of this word from the Greek language means the innermost part, but it's not referring to the spirit. It's talking about the thinking or the feelings of man. So literally what he's saying is think with saved thinking. Think with saved feelings. I say to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with saved thinking. To think with saved feelings. They mean both. It means thinking and feelings. So what's he saying? He's saying, don't let your thinking be moved by emotion. When he tells you to think soberly, he's saying, don't be moved by emotion. Don't allow your thinking to be moved by emotion. Now, folks, here's the key. Here's the key to any spiritual growth, any spiritual development you're ever going to enter into. And that is this. The devil, you've got to know how the devil operates against you. The devil is always trying to affect you emotionally. Always. Every circumstance he brings is not just to show you something, but to affect your emotions by what he shows you. How many times do we see Jesus telling those that came to him and also his disciples, fear not. The instruction for us to fear not is in the Bible 365 times. Exactly. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's in, there for, it's in there one time for every day of the year. Fear not. Why would God spend so much time? You can't find anything else that's spoken of or, or, or instructed that many times. Nothing. Why would God spend so much time telling us that? Because that's what the devil's trying to make you do. He's trying to affect your emotions. He's trying to influence your thinking based on emotions. Now we know that the Bible tells us that there's a, there's a parallel between spiritual growth and natural growth. The Bible talks about babies in Christ. Paul talks to, to the Corinthians. He said, I couldn't talk to you as unto spiritual, but as unto uh, carnal men, even as unto babes in Christ. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about people that are body ruled. People that are ruled by the desires of their flesh. They're ruled by their emotions. And so he says that I couldn't talk to you like that because an immature believer, an immature Christian is body ruled. He's controlled by his emotions. So what do we see? We see the same thing in our children. We see that in ourselves when we're young. What happens? Kids want to do whatever feels good. You give a kid a choice, what are you going to eat? You're going to eat healthy things like vegetables or are you going to eat ice cream? They would live on ice cream if you let them do it. Why? Because they're ruled by their taste buds. Right? It's the same way spiritually. People want to hear what makes them feel good. 
That's why you've got churches that are packed that aren't teaching anybody anything that's of value spiritually. Because people will go to the things that make them feel good. It doesn't feel too good sometimes when the Bible steps on our toes, does it? The Bible says the Word of God will lay you out, will split you open. It will divide between soul and spirit. It's sharp. It's a two-edged sword. Boy, that doesn't feel good. I've never been too concerned about what somebody was going to preach at me. But boy, I get in services, and that's when the Holy Ghost just cuts me up. And it's not done in a harmful way. It's not done in a, in a condemning way. It's done in a way that, yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Lord, I'm so sorry. Yes, I know. God doesn't condemn you. God doesn't come down on you. But He sure shows you what's right and what's wrong, doesn't He? That gets uncomfortable for a lot of people. I've had people in the, in the past that will leave our church say, I'm just not going back there. Pastor Mike preach too, preaches too much conviction. I never even use the word. They blame me for what the Holy Ghost is saying to them while they're sitting in church. Well, okay, I get that. I understand. And a lot of people don't want that kind of responsibility. They don't want to hear from God like that. And so they just put it off on somebody else. They just make an excuse. They'll say, well, that's just him. That's just this minister or that minister. I'm going to go somewhere that, that, that edifies us. A lot of people think that means feel good. Not so. So what happens? We recognize that the world, which is controlled by Satan, who is the God of this world, the spirit of this world, is trying to go in a different direction from spiritual things. And so what happens? How many times do we, as kids, go to our parents and say, Mom and Dad, we want to do this. And they said, no way. There's not a chance that you're going to do that. And they say, well, everybody else is. What does that mean? We're trying to be conformed to the world. Did that ever work for anybody? It never did for me. Well, everybody else is doing this. Well, you're just different. You're just weird. I never said that to my parents. My dad would have killed me if I'd said something like that. But I would use that. Everybody else is doing it. This is not fair. Why isn't it fair? Because I didn't do, get to do what made me feel good. It's a, it's, a, it's a pattern. It's a principle. It's something that goes along with spiritual immaturity. What are we doing? We're allowing the man on the inside to be hidden from what feels good. Look at the, the thing that happened in the 60s when there was the, the youth movements and the, uh, the free love and all that kind of stuff. Those of you that are old enough to remember those things. What was the saying that came out of that? If it feels good, do it. Now that worked out real well for everybody, didn't it? Now those people are running things. Still operating by the same, if it feels good, do it. showing no discipline whatsoever in any area of their lives. And the result is lives are shattered. Everything about what the devil does tries to affect your emotions. You were, uh, you'll be familiar with the scripture over in first, um, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Did you ever know that fear was a spirit? The Bible says so. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Have you ever thought that your fear was spiritual? Most people don't think of it in those terms. They just think it's a feeling. And they think, okay, well, I'm just supposed to not feel what I'm feeling. Well, that's not it. It's saying that there is a spirit of fear that tries to make you to be afraid. 
But it says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The word sound is the same word sober. He's saying soundness of mind is the defense for fear or the defense against fear. Don't let yourself be moved by emotion. Folks, think of it like this. If doing spiritual things felt as good to your body as doing carnal things, everybody would want to walk in the Spirit. Wouldn't they? I mean, that would make everybody want to do it. Because then if it feels good, do it would work. It would provide some eternal benefit, but it doesn't. You ever been just itching to say something against somebody? You heard some news and you just wanted to tell. Oh, I've got to tell somebody about this. Oh, I've got to tell somebody about this. And then you tell and it feels so good to get it out. And then after it's done, you think, I probably shouldn't have done that. Why did we do it? Because it felt good while we were doing it. That's what the Bible's talking about. There is pleasure in sin for a season, no matter what the sin is. There is a natural fleshly pleasure. But it won't last. It won't last. What people don't understand, what there have been very few people that have gone ahead of us and gotten spiritually mature enough to let us know is that when you train yourself in the right way to do things according to the Word, to be led by the Spirit of God, to take action based on His direction instead of just what you feel like doing, that can become as pleasurable as doing the wrong things before you learn. I know that uh, in, in times past when uh, uh, there were times when Beth and I would go to, to uh, ministers' meetings and, and uh, it was when Brother Hagin was still alive and, oh, everybody was trying to get close to Brother Hagin. Oh, dear Lord. And, and they would run over and, and, and kill anybody in the way to get to it. I, I don't mean that in a literal sense, although there are some people I wonder about. But, um, uh, but it was, it, I mean, it was one of those things where people were always promoting themselves and, and, and trying to spread the news on what they were doing so that somebody in, in some position of, you know, who's who would find out about it and, and uh, give, some, give them some attention and that type of thing. And, and we've had people that were friends of ours just absolutely step all over us trying to get to somebody else that they thought was important. You know, you stand there and you're talking to somebody you haven't seen them in a long time. You're glad to see them and they're looking over your shoulder trying to see who else could they be talking to instead of you. Well, Beth and I, I, I can't stand politics in any, any sense of the manner. I, I can't stand politics in ministry. I, I, I can't stand politics, period. If, if you can't be real, what's the point? And so Beth and I would see what was going on in these situations. We'd talk about it. I mean, we've got our feelings hurt in, in so many situations in times past. And so we just talked about it said, look, anytime we see that, let's see if we can't push somebody along. If they're trying to go over us, then let's push them along. There was, there was a guy that, that, that was looking over his shoulder trying to see who's who and that kind of stuff. And then he saw somebody. He said, oh, there's so-and-so. I said, do you know him? And he said, no. And I said, let me go introduce you to him. And so I took him over, introduced him, and walked away. Man, you never saw a guy so happy in his life. And I thought, now, he got what he wanted, and all the way on the inside, I'm smiling real big on the inside. I'm smiling because, okay, I helped him get over somebody. He stepped on me to do it, but who cares? He tried to get something, and I gave it to him. Folks, I've got to tell you something. That became a game for us. It became a game. We would plan to go to meetings. Okay. Remember our goal here. 
We would push people as far as we could. It didn't matter if they were stepping on us to get somewhere. And it got to the point where we enjoyed that more than being recognized by somebody. The Bible talks about, Proverbs talks about, be careful how you, how you operate in the presence of other people, people that you think are important and so forth. Be careful how you operate in those situations. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is, when you learn to present your body a living sacrifice and renew your mind to the Word, doing spiritual things does feel as good as doing fleshly things. Most people don't find that out. So what does the Bible tell us? It tells us that we're going to have to resist emotions moving us. We're going to have to resist. We're going to have to hold away or hold off those emotional rushes that come against us. Now, people, you say things like that, and people will come up with the excuses. They'll say, yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand what, what the doctor told me. The doctor told me that I was going to die. Well, folks, you knew that when, before you went into the doctor's office. Everybody's going to die. Yeah, but he told me I'm going to die in three months. Well, doctors have been wrong before. I can show you people that have been diagnosed and said they were going to die in three months. They're still alive years later. It doesn't change anything. Just because the doctor tells you something doesn't change anything. Yeah, but he said, I've got cancer. Well, okay, that, what does that mean then? That means we need to double up and put the word to work. I can show you people that were diagnosed with cancer whose tumors have disappeared. There are people in this room that have had that experience. But see, the first thing that happens is the devil tries to push you emotionally. One little bit of news. They're laying off at work. What's the first thought that comes? Oh, my Lord, I bet I'm the first one to go. I'm one of the newest tires. I bet I'm the first one out the door. He tries to make you afraid. But the Bible says again and again and again, fear not. Why? Because if you allow your thinking to be influenced by and determined by emotions, you're never going to find the leading of God. You're never going to hear the voice of God on the inside of you. I've had situations, I'm sure you have too, where you're trying your best to hear the voice of God, but there's so much pressure coming on you that it's almost like you can't hear no matter what you do. I've found one of the greatest things is to apply the word in that area as well. The Bible says that praying in tongues will quieten you down. It's the peace of God. I'll spend time just speaking in other tongues. I'll pray until my mind gets quiet. I'll speak in tongues until I'm not thinking anything. And that's when I'll just relax and that's where the voice of God is. Because the inward witness is always that still small voice type leading of God. We've learned. We've learned by making mistakes. We've learned that anytime something presses you and says you've got to make a decision before the end of the day, we walk away. Our decision is no. Because we're not going to be pushed. Because you get into a situation where you're pressured, that's when you make emotionally based decisions. Turn with me over to uh, um, Isaiah chapter 41. Here's one of those fear not scriptures. Isaiah 41, notice verse 10. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Now, folks, can I ask you something? The Bible talks over and over and over again. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The first thing God says is, Fear not, for I am with thee. He goes further. He said, Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right head of my righteousness. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, Fear not unless you get a diagnosis of cancer. He didn't say, Fear not unless they threaten to take away your house. He didn't say, Fear not unless you've got trouble in your marriage. He didn't say, Fear not unless anything. 
Now, why not? Because no matter what you encounter, God is with you. And since He's with you, there is nothing to be afraid of. That's what He's saying. He's saying, me being with you will enable you to overcome anything that comes at you. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, what if they, what if they tell me this? What of it? What if they do? So many times people want to pray in fear before they go to the doctor. Pastor Mike, I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Agree with me that they give me a good report. Who cares if the doctor gives you a good report? I mean, I understand that him saying everything is all right and everything is fine. You look great. You're in great shape. You know, probably ought to start eating a little bit more calories. Eat more fat. You're doing too good. That, that'd feel great, wouldn't it? That's probably not going to happen. Sure, I understand. It feels good to our flesh if somebody gives us good news. But what if they don't? It doesn't change the Word. It doesn't change the Bible. I've said this before. I'd rather the doctor tell me something that he finds than just ignore it and act like nothing's there. If he tells me something that is going on, then I know what to apply the Word to. But if he misdiagnoses me and says everything's fine, there's nothing to be concerned about, then I'm missing an opportunity to put the Word to work on something that's going to come back and be found sometime down the road. Pastor Mike, pray for me. I'm going to the doctor. Pray for me that I'll have a good report. I can't pray that prayer. And it's always fear that motivates that kind of thinking. They're afraid that if the doctor tells them something is wrong, oh no, what are we going to do then? Well, what are you going to do then? You better decide before you hear something. What are you going to do if the doctor tells you something is going on? I don't know about you, but I'm going to take the word of God as true whether he's telling me things are good or telling me things are bad. Because the Bible doesn't change based on a doctor's diagnosis. So he says, fear not for I am with you. You don't have anything to be afraid of because God's on your side. Now that takes some renewing your mind too, doesn't it? Because what do we hear so often? We hear and we feel, oh, God seems a million miles away. Yet he said he's with you. But he doesn't feel like he's with me. Yeah, I know. So what are we going to do? We're going to have to be transformed. Our thinking is going to have to be transformed. We're going to have to break through the feelings of the flesh by telling ourselves what God's Word says, by repeating to ourselves over and over and over again, wait a minute, God says that I am with thee. God says He's with me. And not to fear because He is. Sure doesn't feel like He's here, but He said He's here. Anybody ever felt God? We may have sensed His presence, but nobody's ever felt God. We may have, have, have been conscious of the presence of God around us or with us or something like that, but that's not a feeling, folks. That's not something you reach out and touch. That's not a physical feeling. That's a spiritual sense. And it's great when you have that spiritual sense, isn't it? be nice if you could have that all the time. But just because of the fact that we sometimes sense His presence doesn't change the fact that He's with us all the time. He's with us whether we sense Him there or not. He said so, and His Word can't lie. So He says, fear not, for I am with you. Yeah, but I just feel so helpless. He said, yeah, I will help thee. If you feel helpless, that's, in, that's good territory for God to help you. I mean, if you could do it on your own, what do you need His help for? Sometimes we think we can do it on our own, don't we? He said, fear not, for I am with thee. Be, thou, be not dismayed. The word dismayed means broken down. 
Don't be broken down. What is he talking about? He's talking about in emotions. Don't let your emotions carry you away. Why? For I am your God. He said, I will strengthen thee. Well, that's good news. Because sometimes I feel like I don't have any strength. How about you? I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. That's good news for me too. Because sometimes I feel helpless in the situations I encounter. He says, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Well, that's good news for me too. Because sometimes I really don't feel worthwhile in and of myself. But when you renew your mind to the truth of the word, that you are righteous, it doesn't matter. But how much of the church goes around feeling like they can't have what the Bible says is theirs because they feel unworthy? The short of the story is this, folks. The thing that keeps us from being led by the Spirit of God is that we allow ourselves to be moved by emotions. We allow ourselves to think what we want to think because it makes us feel good to think it. Instead of thinking what the Bible says and renewing our mind to the Bible by repeating it to ourselves. It it all comes back to confession. It all comes back to our confession. The just shall live by faith. Faith is a lifestyle. Jesus said faith was believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. It's a lifestyle. The more you say God's word is true, the more it becomes true in your life. The more you say God is with you, the more conscious you are that, he's, that He is with you. When you affirm things to be true that the Bible says are true, you're not hampered, you're not hindered by the other things that the, that the devil seems to trip people up with. For example, if you say, thank God I'm born again. I'm born again because I made Jesus the Lord of my life. You make that a consistent confession. You'll never be hampered by it. You'll never be tempted with the thought, maybe you're not saved. All the people in the body of Christ that go around saying, well, you know, I asked Jesus in my heart, but, you know, I'm just really not sure if I'm saved or not. What are they operating on? They're operating on feelings based on their past behavior. They could solve the problem very simply by just saying what the Bible says is true. I never have understood people wondering if they were really saved. Like Brother Hagin says, I was there when I got saved. I know what happened. But it's the same principle. The people that are saying that they're unworthy, the people that say they're so unworthy, if they would turn around and confess, say what the Bible says about being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the feeling of unworthiness would pass away. The emotions that are associated with the condemnation that the devil brings, you're not worth it. Yeah, you were included because Jesus died for the world, but if he was just here for you, forget it. How do you combat that? By saying what the Bible says is true. How do you deal with fear? God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. How do you think soberly? How do you think in such a way that you're not moved by emotions? By saying God is with you. I will not be afraid for God is with me. I will not be afraid because God will strengthen me. I will not be afraid because God helps me. I will not be afraid because He's upholding me with the right hand of His righteousness. I'll not be afraid because victory is mine. Say what the Bible says. You can run away every emotion by the Word of God. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? He said, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now he's talking specifically about certain, certain sins and things like that. But he said the answer 
for not living in sin, not falling in sin, not operating in sin, was to walk in the Spirit. Well, the same thing is true where it comes to being led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit, and you'll not go in the direction of the enemy. Same exact thing is true. How do you do that? The same way he tells the Galatians to, the same way he tells the church to. The more you speak that you've been made the love of God, the more you speak that you've, the peace of God is yours, that joy is yours, all of those things that make up the fruit of the Spirit, the more you say that that is who you are, rather than the other things, the, the, fruit of the, uh, the works of the flesh that, that are listed and enumerated in Galatians 5, the more you say that those spiritual traits are really you, even if you're not living up to them at the moment, the more you say those things, the more victory you have over that list of sins and every other sin as well. The same thing's true where the, where the, the leading of God is concerned. I, I, so many times people come and they say, Pastor Mike, pray for me that I'll hear the voice of God. I'm not going to pray that prayer. Jesus said his sheep hear his voice. Why should we have to pray that we do hear, some, hear his voice when God saw, Jesus already said that we do? See, people are wanting to pray that kind of prayer because they don't have confidence in being able to hear. Well, how do you gain confidence in being able to hear? Say, I hear the voice of God. That's what Jesus said about you. Start saying, I hear and know the voice of God, and a stranger I will not follow. Start saying, I'm led by the Spirit of God. His Spirit bears witness with my Spirit. The more you talk about being led by the Spirit of God, the more real it becomes. Remember what Paul said about the renewing of the mind. He said, as you renew your mind by repeating what the Word of God says, that's when you prove or determine by experience the will of God in your life. You want to experience the will of God in your life? Start changing your thinking by saying the Word. Folks, I've gotten to the place where I say that I'm led by the Spirit of God so much, it's almost impossible for me to miss it. In fact, I've taken something from Brother Hagin over the, that I heard years and years ago. He said this. He said, if I'm faithful to obey the Word of God, if He makes it known, or faithful to obey His direction when He makes it known to me, He said that He'll always show me what His plan is. So he's showing me his plan. I'm faithful to follow his plan. If I miss it, it's God's fault. Man, I like that. Now, if somebody wasn't willing to be faithful, if somebody wasn't willing to renew their mind to the Word and put spiritual things first, you couldn't say that. But he was, and so he could. I, I hung on to that. I got that instantly. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm faithful to obey whatever God tells me to do, then it's God's responsibility to make sure I know what to do. And if I take a step outside of His will, it's because He didn't show me. Now, you know as well as I do, God's faithful to His Word, and so He's always going to show you. But you take that kind of attitude, the devil has no opportunity to take you off track. Because you've got a working relationship with the Father. You're identifying a working relationship with the Father. He shows me what to do, and I'm always faithful to obey His Word, obey His direction, obey His voice on the inside of me. Where's the room for the devil in that? That steps out of the gray area where, well, I, I hope this is the will of God. You don't have to hope. The Bible says you can know. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And they don't know the voice of a stranger. He's talking about the inward knowing. He's talking about a witness on the inside. It's always emotions that keep you from following the voice of God. Always. Because emotions will lead you to think wrong, think contrary to the word of God. Emotions will cause you to think contrary 
to that which is on the inside, the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit on the inside. It's always, it always starts with emotions, always. The devil's trying to gain access to your life through your emotions. Don't let it happen. Fear not, for I am with thee, God said. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk in truth. Lord, we thank you that you said that we are to think soberly, not moved by emotions, but instead think according to the measure of faith that you've given to every one of us. Think according to the word of God and that word that we confess. Thank you, Father, that it leads us into victory. This is the victory which overcomes the world, even our faith. Thank you, Father. It's so simple. You made it so simple. Forgive us for complicating it. But as we say what your word says, we thank you that that is the leading of God and you show us what adjustments need to be made so that we can walk in your perfect will. Father, such a wonderful thing to know that we're in position to walk in your perfect will for our lives. We thank you, Father, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Because the greater one is on the inside of us, we need not fear. There's nothing the devil can throw at us that's too great for you. There's nothing that the devil ever brings in our path that's too much for you to handle, and we're walking with you. Thank you, Father, for leading us into victory in every area of life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.